Good morning, Calvary. How are you? My name is Tom. If we haven't met, I'd be happy to meet you. I'm uh, part of the church staff here, and I love being here on Sunday mornings at this time. Glad that you're here with us. Um, what's today? May 15th. On June 5th, <laughs> at 9 o'clock, we're going to change our services. June 5th, we're going to meet at 9 o'clock, not 10 o'clock. Everybody hear that? Okay, so that's uh, three weeks from today, we're going to begin our service at 9 a.m., and we're going to meet at 9 a.m. through the summer so that we're in position when August gets here and 100 college students come back to our campus that we'll be meeting in two services uh, at the end of August or 1st of September. We haven't decided yet where. But we're going to let you know. But what you know now is if you come at 10 o'clock, three weeks from today, you'll get the closing song. Okay? <laughs> so that's, uh, that's three weeks from today. Also, those of you who are members of Calvary and you've been here for a long time, one of our loved friends, Lou Sharp, went to be with the Lord. Um, that last song uh, mentioned going home, the end of life, and Lou has been a, a member of Calvary for 45 or 50 years and just a great saint who has now been at the Erie campus. However, um, he's with the Lord today while we're here. And his service is going to be June 6th at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And if you'd like to be there for Lou and pray for Ruby. Ruby is a prayer warrior in our church. I might just say, um, I've said this a couple times, we have lost a great number of our members in the last six months. And they are our prayers, servers, mentors, teachers, givers, and some of us in the next generation below them, um, I'm praying that we will get the vision that has sustained them in a longevity of faithfulness to our church and the mission of God, and knowing that many of our leaders have been ushered into the presence of God this year. Uh, 95-year-olds, 92-year-olds, 87, 86, have left us for glory. And some of us um, are going to hear God say, I need you to step forward and be that prayer to take his place, that server to take her place. And um, I'm, I'm praying that as we lose on earth our loved ones, God will give us a vision to know we're all going to be there one day, and we need to be ready. And there are many people in our community who aren't ready. And that's why we need to open up some seats here so they can be here to hear the good news of the gospel. Right? All right. In the sovereignty of God, our study in the book of James has taken us to chapter 5. And in James's style, there is an arresting six verses that have a contextual setting for the first century, but they have a contemporary application to us. I've been praying for you this week that as you hear this sermon, you would appropriately 
apply the text to your life and not inappropriately. That you would listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying and be rightly convicted if necessary, but realize that this is a context of a situation in the first century that James is addressing. It happens that this text falls on the weekend for us, which we celebrate the 6-8 project. The 6-8 project is an endeavor that we have done for many years, taking the middle of May to celebrate a weekend in which we're awakening our consciousness to what the Lord requires of us as followers of God. If I, if I were to say to you, what does God want from you today? Would you be able to answer that? Is God even involved in our life enough to say, what does God want from me? That's the question I pray all of us in the room today will answer. God, is there something that you want from me in response to the word of God? And if, if I hear you, Lead me by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. I want to do what you want me to do. The Old Testament prophets declared in Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? That's Micah 6, 8. And that's the background for our 6-8 project, an annual endeavor in which this church on all of our campuses tries to remind ourselves that what God wants his church to do in the world is to be a presence of Jesus by loving kindness, seeking to do justice wherever we can, and walking in a world that's full of hubris with a humility that says we know the one who is gentle and lowly and we follow him. That's what the church is called to do. We want to be that kind of thing. So this is, this is gonna be a fun service because we're gonna celebrate the ways that we're doing that and we're gonna give you an opportunity to take a next step. If God should lead you, what will you do in response to this so that you could say, I know what God requires. He wants me to do justice. And there's a lot of injustice in the world. There's a lot of places where mercy and kindness is needed in our world. And he wants his church to be there on the front lines in quiet, not necessarily uh, to overthrow anything, but just to quietly be his presence for mercy and justice and to do it in a way that's humble. Okay? Now you ready to go to our text? So in light of that, this text that we're in, in uh, James chapter 5, verses one through six, is really appropriate. In the spirit of an Old Testament prophet, James calls on the wicked rich, and he condemns them. I wanna call them the wicked rich, and let the word speak, and then I wanna talk about the righteous rich. But here, there's a condemnation. And what James does is he talks to them about the way they have done two things with their wealth. They have misused it 
and they have immorally acquired it. And the condemnation comes to them for those two things. And then there's hope in the midst of it too. So verse three, verse one through three. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. And everybody said, oh, what's that about? Okay, so there's a context. And the context is there is some serious economic disparity in the circle of the church in the first century. And James, not afraid to go after important wealthy people, points his finger at them and tells them it's time for them to repent because they have misused their wealth and then we're going to talk about how they have immorally acquired their wealth. And he calls them to weep and howl, which are marks of crying out that God would be merciful for my failures in the way I have used my wealth. And the disparity was the wealthy were taking advantage of the poor, which we're going to see. But James starts with, you're misusing what you have. And he, they've misused it in two ways. First of all, they have hoarded it. And the miseries are coming upon you. So this is like a judgment. Time is coming where you're going to have to stand before God and give an account for what you have done with the things that you have, and you have misused your wealth. Verse 2, your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Okay, so probably the riches of verse 2, your riches have rotted, may have been their supplies of food, provisions, foodstuffs that they've been storing, and they've rotted away. They have so much that they, they're just spoiling. And their garments, they have so many garments that they're in the closet and they're being eaten by moths, elaborate garments that probably were decked with jewels and embroidery, and their garments were so important to them that they couldn't wear all the garments that they had. <laughs> can you imagine that? <laughs> Nervous laugh. Okay, you, we, can, we can imagine having too much, and your gold and silver have corroded. Now, gold doesn't really corrode, so what's he talking about? Well, one of two things. Either they were coins that were not fully gold in their quality, and so the corrosion of their coins was gold, and some other metal alloy had, had been stored in storage for so long that it was actually lost, corroded. Or it's a metaphorical use that the things you're acquiring are actually going to end up being of no value to you in the final judgment, and so they're as good as corroded. You're laying up treasures in the last days. The idea is the judgment coming to you is that you have hoarded too much. They have hoarded, not us, of course. Is there an American lesson for us? I wonder. 
I just wonder whether Jesus would say something to us about the way in which we have possessions. How do we use our wealth? Um, I said he's pointing his finger at the wicked rich. They're wickedly rich. And then there's righteous rich who understand that all that I have is from God. And God gave me the ability to make wealth. And wealth is a gift from him. And I understand that I'm a steward of it. Very different. The Bible's filled with rich people that God said, I love you, and I'm calling you to be my servant, and I am going to bless you because you are. And God's material blessing at times was a, a symbol of his love and blessing to certain people. Think Abraham, David, uh, Moses, others who had, had much. Lydia in the New Testament was a businesswoman that God blessed with so much, and yet they were what we would call people who understood all that they had came from God. But not so here in James. They are hoarding in their storage units all of their things. Is this convicting? Could it be convicting that we have too much that we are not using and it's going to waste? A number of years ago, we did a kingdom assignment together as a church where we said, why don't you go find a possession that you're not really using, worth $100 or more, go and sell it, bring back the resources, and we're going to give away the resources. You remember that? How many of you were here when we did that? Yeah, so we asked 200 people, volunteered to do that. When they brought their offering back, it was eighty-two or $3,000, which we gave away in our community. And it was a training exercise for us to say, even when a man has much, his life doesn't consist of the possessions that he has. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. So there's a way to think about wealth as coming from God, and another way to think about wealth that I'm going to try to amass all that I can. And to that person, the Lord would say, you fool, don't you know tonight your life might be required of you? Why, why do you have all these things? Who will you leave them to? You get the idea, right? So in wealthy America, could this be a point of application for us? It might just be that we look through our attic, garage, crawl space, basement, storage unit, trunk and say, is there stuff I have that somebody else could benefit from before it goes bad? That, that's what James is calling to. They, they hoarded. And the other thing they did in verse 5, um, in verse 5, you've lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fattened your heart in the day of slaughter. Not only do you hoard it, but you just consume it in self-indulgence. <gasps> okay. That's James pointing the finger at people who love their money more than they love God. And it was totally self-indulgent, spending it upon themselves. The idea is on wanton pleasures, and you've, you've lived on the earth in luxury. What's luxury? Well, luxury we like to explain as a scale, right? I don't have luxury compared to um, Elon Musk but compared to about 98% of the world's population, I have luxury. I have to measure my own soul about whether I 
spend my wealth on me or think of it as I am a vehicle through which my resources are in the world to bless other people. This is just a really um, challenging situation where James is calling out those who are only thinking about themselves and they are somehow associated with the church. Some have argued whether these are really Christians in the church or whether those are outside connected to the church, but it doesn't really matter because people who love their money more than they love God always get in trouble, always go sideways. And so we learn from the lesson to this group and say, all right, Am I hoarding? Lord, you, no guilt here because I have a crawl space. Just say, Lord, will you search our hearts and make sure that we understand that all that we have is a gift from God and we want to use it for him. In fact, this probably would be uh, the the good thing to think about here uh, as we're thinking, pointing the finger at these who need to weep and howl. Jesus um, said in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, no servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one, love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve everybody. Yeah, God and money. But you need money to live, and God gives all that we have. He's just loving. In another place, in Matthew, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, or thieves break in and steal, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Just reminding ourselves of what Jesus said about money, and then knowing that there were many people in his circle that had a lot of it. So we're reminded just of what Timothy said, it's the love of money that really is the root of all evil, and that's really deceitful affection. Sometimes it's hard to know, is my money my love? Is God my love? And may the Holy Spirit give us guidance that we'll know. This is a condemnation of those who misuse their wealth. And then there's another thing that he speaks to, and that's in verses 4 and 6. In James chapter 1, verse 4 and 6, he says, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. He's saying, God is in heaven hearing the cries of the wages. It's really an interesting uh, picture. It's as if the wages that weren't given to the workers are crying out to God, They won't give us to the workers. And God hears the cry of the wages and of the laborers who are not being paid. So what's this a picture of? It's a picture of the rich exploiting the poor. And every one of us in the room would say today, whenever rich people get rich on the backs of the poor, exploiting them, that is injustice. And the church is able to say that, right? We can say that. Why wouldn't we? It doesn't mean that everybody is going to be equally wealthy, 
Yeah, but it does mean that there's a way in which God is honored when we make our wealth and whether or not we exploit those who are the laborers in our life. That's what James is saying. He's calling out the rich that you have on the backs of the poor made yourself rich and gained by exploitation. And the Lord of hosts, which the Lord of the angel armies, knows about this, and he's going to make it right. That's frightening. You have condemned, verse 6, and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So let's get in the culture. What's happening here? Well, apparently, those who were wealthy landowners were exploiting those who were not landowners, but were laborers in the field, harvesters. And then they were not paying them what they were due, withholding their daily wages so that they could not get their daily bread. And two or three or four or five or seven days without getting paid for your daily wages so that you couldn't get daily bread could probably lead to the result that you were worked to death hence murders. Or perhaps they were, by defraud, taking their land and maybe even murdering them for their land. We're not exactly sure all of this, but it's clear that the rich were exploiting the poor. Now, this was absolutely forbidden in the Old Testament. The Lord had already spoken about how do you treat people who work for you. In Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 13, it says... The Lord says, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until morning. So someone would work a day. God prescribed that you would pay him at the end of the day. Why? So that he could go buy his daily bread with his daily wage, and then he would be able to live. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, you shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor or needy, whether he is one of your brothers or a sojourner, an immigrant worker who is in your land and within your towns, you shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and he counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. Now James is saying there are some of you associated with the church who are exploiting the poor and you've acquired your wealth immorally. And the cry is ascending to God. Just think about that for a moment. Where have you heard the cry of injustice rising to God's ears and him hearing it? And it happens in a lot of places. The very first one is in Genesis where Cain kills Abel and his blood is in the ground. The blood of Abel is ascending to my ears. What have you done? Who's your, where's your brother? I'm not my brother's keeper. Yes, you are. The blood of your brother is ascending to my ears. I know. God hears from heaven. He sees. There is a promise in this passage to the oppressed. And the word to the oppressed is that a day of judgment is coming. And there's a way to combat the arrogance of exploiting those who are below you, people that you're taking advantage of, and the wealthy need to know that they're not secure. I think that's the point of this reference, is that you're not secure. God hears. He knows this cry is coming, and one day he's going to make it right. 
The oppressors are not unnoticed by God. That's a good word, isn't it? It sometimes doesn't feel like it. How long, O oh Lord, will these things happen? But God, through James, is saying, God knows what's happening here. And in this particular situation, um, the oppressors and the oppressed, God's watching. And God knows what's happening to each of them. His eyes are open. His, his ears are open to their cry. God hears them. I've seen the affliction of my people. Now, the day of judgment's coming, and the, the wealthy, I think, need to know that, who are mistreating others, and those who are oppressed get to hear that that's going to be made right. But we live in a day where there's a lot of oppression. Would you agree? There's a lot of inequity and a lot of um, injustice. And God wants his people at least to think about who, where am I in my position and how do I care for those around me? Caring for the poor is exactly what God asks us to do. In uh, Proverbs chapter 3, God says, Honor the Lord from the first of your wealth that it may be well for you. The very first place to think about what I have is that I honor God with it. And the Micah 6-8 weekend has been designed for many years for all of us just to say, what do I have and how can I use it for God and his glory? And not hoard it and not become selfish and unlike or just like everyone else in the world who's trying to get as much as they can because the one with the most toys wins. That's not the way it works. It's those who lay up treasure in heaven are rich toward God and are ushered into heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not a matter of how much, it's a matter of what we do with what we have, right? So, this is a strange passage. But are there any applications that we should make to our own life? Certainly that our lives aren't measured by our stuff. We aren't who we are because of our wealth. There are people all around us who are in need, and God put us right next to him, and he has shown us, O oh people, what is good and what the Lord requires, to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. And that's what we want to do on this weekend. Now, as we think about that, what's going on in the world today that Calvary Bible Church can step into? Do you know today in the world there are more than 40 million slaves in the world, more than any other time in history? And human trafficking and slavery in the world is a $150 billion business in the world today. $150 billion, 40 million slaves. And one out of four of those are children. One out of four. We have friends in IJM, International Justice Mission. And a number of years ago, on our 6 8 Project Weekend, we sponsored um, a traffic monitoring station in Ghana by your generous giving. And we have partners in Ghana who have in the last year intercepted 42 children and women who were ab about to be trafficked in slavery or prostitution. That came out of the 6-8 weekend four years ago. 
And that traffic monitoring station is happening because of Calvary Bible Church's generous giving. Those are all over the world. If you're looking to step into where um, the poor are afflicted by the rich, IJM is an organization we commit to you. International Justice Mission. Locally, Freedom 58 and uh, Love Justice with Libby and Bob Swenson are a local organization that we partner with, and some of you are partners with them because there is this injustice happening around the world. And what's happening is those from other uh, countries, immigrants are being taken into slavery. And boy, this passage out of James would be zeroed in right on them. You're, you're, you're getting rich on the backs of the poor. Injust. We want to be aware of that. We want to be aware of the immigrants who are around us who are coming into our world today and say, what would God want us to do with our many resources to help those who are coming in? And that's what we've done in this year's uh, Heart of Advent project. We have sponsored three families from Afghan. And for, the, for a few minutes this morning, we want to celebrate the ways in which we have and the ways in which we can live out some of the message of James 5, 1 through 6. How do we become aware of what we have and how we can use it in the world? And in order for us to do that, I want you to look at th this quick video about our Afghan refugee project. 